but we can basically just chat. Uh, I just wanted to see how well it's picking up. Looks like what it is Carolina our... Disco Turkeys? Oh, so uh, it's a minor league team for the Phillies. They're in Raleigh, North Carolina. I, my dad loves baseball. We were all raised in a baseball family, and I just I saw this uh, on Twitter. Somebody had one of these shirts, and I was like, I don't have any connection to that that team, but like just the, the best logo. logo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A million years ago, at my very first job, my boss realized that I had some sort of a natural talent, and for some reason, a desire to keep working in restaurants. And he took me aside and he said, "Randall, you could be really good at this." And you could go far if you could just learn to keep your mouth shut. If you're listening to this, you'll know I took part of that advice. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to In the Weeds with Ben Randall. I'm Ben Randall, and for this week's episode, you're going to hear a new voice. No Steve this week. Uh, So it's me. And right off the bat, I've got to issue an apology, right? So I should probably get another microphone. Not that there's anything wrong with this one, but I should probably get another one so that when I do interviews, I don't have hiccups like this. Today, I'm interviewing a fellow named Derek Tung. He's the owner-operator of Paulie G's in Lincoln Square, which is an awesome pizza place here in the Lincoln... Nope, Logan Square. There is a second location in wicker park that one i do know where it is <laughs> uh and it just tremendous pizza tremendous fella tremendous business all of that kind of stuff and i've been trying to get him on the show for a very long time and you'll be able to see all of the contact information for his restaurant and for his socials and all of that in the show notes today however this episode The way that it recorded, I am slightly closer to the mic, or the mic was configured in such a way that it is easier to hear me than it is to hear Derek. It's a little quiet on his part of the recording. Unfortunately, there is no good way for me to fix that. So, really, sorry, this is going to be a little bit of homework, but you're just going to have to pay a little bit more attention when Derek's talking. He has a lot of information. He's got a wealth of experience to share with us, and he was very generous with his time. And like I said, we've been trying to get him on the show for a bit, so it was great to finally have him, quote, in studio. Maybe that's what I need to do. I need to get a second mic, and I need to actually set up some sort of a studio space so I don't look like I'm some sort of a rinky-dink operation, which I am. So if it doesn't look that way, it would be a lie. So, like I said, sit back, enjoy this kind of quiet conversation with Derek Tung. But really what I wanted to talk to you about was, it seemed to me, because I know you and I know a couple other guys who are doing pizza, throughout the pandemic, pizza kind of, like, has always been a big deal, but it became an even bigger deal. And I wanted to get your feelings about that, because I know you guys opened two Uh, more spots? Well, we, we did. We opened one more spot in the middle of the pandemic, right, in the second year of the pandemic, which was Wicker Park. And that one's still open and functioning, which is great. Two years of uh, two years of neg- of losses essentially, yeah, but yeah. this is this is the first year that we might actually break even and make a little profit on it, which is it's good now that like our ops are where it needs to be. We're open seven days a week. We have the right crew, and then uh, the neighborhood I think is like figuring out that we're there. So it's it's gotten to a point where okay, we're stable, which is yeah, nice. Right on. Um, the other place was Polly G's Loyola, 
which was a deal with Aramark, which unfortunately went south because they didn't hold up to their end of the bargain. And uh. so at some point, um, that one was, that had no investors. That was personally funded by me because I'm like, oh, it doesn't cost much. It's a small op. We can, we can fund it. And I just, unfortunately, shit the bed on that one. So. Oh, yeah. Well, and when was that one? When did that open? Uh, I want to say that opened in two, maybe 20, at the end of 2021. Okay. End of 2021, and then we were open for like four months, and then things just went really south. The partnership went terrible, yeah. and we had to we had to bail out. Unfortunately, take a pretty big hit on it. So. So you probably were in the process of getting that together pre-pandemic, then, right? No. So that was also a rush job. They approached us two <sighs> months before open. Wow. Because they had a shortage on staff, they couldn't get enough staff to work yeah, yeah. like their kitchen, much less these. It was like a little food court, basically, where they had these other options that would stay open late night. Um, and they approached us and said, hey, you know, we would love to have you in as a pizza shop. You're local. You're great. This and that. Um, and then once a new director swooped in, they, like, wanted to renegotiate rates from day one. That, uh, you know, is yeah. they just rushed everything. And I should have had my lawyer really lock things down before I got rushed into it. But either way, like, just, you know, it's David versus Goliath. At some point, I was just like, I can't sue him. Like it's gonna cost me more to sue him than yeah. my losses. So. Oh yeah, Aramark has a fleet of <laughs> I, exactly, lawyers. I'm sure. Exactly. And I find out later from all my pizza colleagues that have worked with them, they're like, "Oh, Aramark's the worst to work with." I'm like, yeah. "How come no one told me this before I signed up to this gig?" So, <laughs> you know, everyone likes to think they're different though, and you want to be the princess. I'm like, "Oh, maybe it'll be different with me." But it wasn't, uh, wasn't right. different with me. Like, everybody's got the better idea. Ah, yeah. That's yeah, yeah. The hope. So now I feel like we've jumped the gun a little bit. Take me all the way back. What brings you to pizza? How did you get from wherever you were to pizza? Oh, man. I mean, I think people always love pizza, right? Even as a kid, I loved pizza. So one of the things that, as a kid growing up, there were three things I wanted to be. One, I wanted to either be a doctor, because I have good Asian parents that trained me really well <laughs> and built it into my head, you know, got the little doctor's kid at age two and played around with it. Nice. Two, I wanted to be a garbage man. Because this was, like, back in the day when garbage men, you know, they didn't have the automated lifts. Mm -hmm. So all the garbage men were just, like, jacked. They, they were, were built, huge. They had yeah. to pick up the garbage cans. And I'm like, dude, they make, they're huge. And then later on in life, I learned garbage men actually make pretty good money. Like, I yeah. didn't realize that. Um, but just because they were jacked, I'm like, I don't want to be a garbage <laughs> man. And then three, I wanted to be a pizza man. At that time, I didn't know what the term was. Mm -hmm. um, I'm just like, oh, you get to work with pizza and eat pizza all day. That sounds amazing. So these were my three goals in life from, like, a very early um, went down the path of medical school, dropped out in my second year, continued in medicine, but on the business side for a while. Um, and then eventually, once things were stable, my wife and I started just hosting like weekly get-togethers with friends, with coworkers, with family all the time. And I kind of found my passion just having people over and cooking for them and spending time with them and getting to know them. Um, and that became a thing where, you know, at some point someone's like, you should open a restaurant. Mm -hmm. People are always, you know, you're always like, That's, you don't know what you're talking about. Restaurant ownership is not for me. Yeah, yeah. Um, but at some point, I went to a Neapolitan pizzeria called Neo, and I they used to have one in Naperville, and I think they still have one on the north suburb. I don't remember which one, but it was one of my first experiences with Neapolitan pizza. And I was like, we sat down at the pizza bar. They made a Neapolitan pizza from scratch within like they stretched it in thirty seconds, knocked it out in three minutes from order. I'm like, this is delicious. Mm -hmm. This is ingenious. Why is this not in existence 
everywhere in Chicago or any major city for like a quick lunch option. So then my goal at that point was to establish some type of business to try to grow into the pizza business. Um, but also, like I said, combining that passion along with starting to grow a business was, was kind of what I wanted to do. I wanted to do a little bit of entrepreneurship. So at yeah. that point I was doing hybrid entrepreneurship is what we call it, right? So I was working my nine to five <laughs> and then Wednesday nights I was going in the kitchen to prep all the ingredients for a Saturday farmer's market because we had started to build this oven huh. on the back of a trailer. Um, and we just lugged it around for private events, farmer's markets, things like that. Um, and then that first year, we did a whole year of it. I uh, broke even with a lot of volunteer help from family and friends <laughs> working. And I'm like, oh man, we're totally undercharging at these farmer's markets. Um, but then I wanted to move into brick and mortar probably within two to three years after that. Um, and then at the time, there was a website called Slice where all they did was they talked about pizza throughout the nation and they interviewed some of the major pizza makers around the, the US and sometimes <laughs> the world. Um, and Paulie was one of those people that was interviewed and he left a little, one of his answers to one of his questions was, if anyone ever wants to be, wants a mentor in helping you open your own restaurant, please reach out and let me know. And he gave his email. Huh. And so we had just finished one year of farmer's markets and private events. And so I reached out to three different mentors possible mentors to kind of learn a little bit more about opening up a brick and mortar and my criteria was I wanted someone that had done a mid-career change someone that didn't grow up in restaurant industry right. so that I could relate to them a little bit better um, little did I know that little tagline of Polly was really because he was trying to franchise uh. and so he was looking for franchisees um, but we got to know each other you know I swiped right it was a swipe left I don't even know anymore I don't know, I don't know the current um, this this year I'll be married twenty years so like it's a it's a good thing I don't know the the parlance <laughs> of dating apps. <laughs> I talk to my staff all the time. I'm like I wouldn't even know how to begin to date again. I'm so glad that I'm like not worrying about that right, market. Right. So um, I'm sure they could train us though if we really needed. Yes, yeah. like we yeah. find a way. Um, but yeah, so I met Paulie, got to know each other, flew to his city, talked to him, got to know him. He flew to Chicago, we got to know each other. We decided up to partner up and open a spot in Chicago. And so that kind of went from there, and we've been growing since. I've been as you've been talking. There's a place in Ravenswood called Spockanopoly, which mm. for years, when we lived in Lincoln Square, mm. that was our go-to. So good. I haven't been there in the longest time, oh. but that when I first, I mean, aside from because I have been to Naples at at one point. It was a long time ago, Absolutely. and I was way too young to appreciate the travel and and that the pizza stood out for me because it was like it was the first time I hadn't had like big floofy American pizza yeah, you know like the pizza hut and the Domino's I, I grew up with right, sure. right 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 and uh so that stood out to me and then we found that place and I was transported and then it just happened to be that when we were there they had a fresh mozzarella and marinated like garlic marinated white anchovy appetizer and I was like oh I'll take 10 of these <laughs> you know <laughs> but no, you're absolutely right. The The places that do that are pretty few and far between. Yeah, Jonathan is amazing. He's a great mentor. He's a great, like, he's a great spokesperson for the pizza industry. And he just, you know, he's he does what he does, and he does it for the love of pizza. I think he goes back at least one month a year, maybe two, back to Italy just to make sure, like, he's in tune with whatever's happening in Italy mm. so he can reflect it in his restaurant as well. Huh. Um, so it's, it's impressive. It's impressive. And he's learned to speak Italian and, like, very open guy so it's it's fun to work with him it's fun to have him in the city for sure so now you say that you broke even after that first year of carting a uh, an oven around farmers markets does that include your labor like whatever it is you feel like your labor is worth yes i paid myself nothing so <laughs> i mean i literally like we had four partners 
we all made nothing. And then we we brought on one extra body every week, which was always a friend or a family member who got nothing. At the very <laughs> end, like we threw a big party for everyone that had been associated with us in any way whatsoever. Got right. them, like a nice jacket and a t-shirt. So we spent a little bit of it basically to break even. Um, but, you know, it was a lot of good lessons learned, a lot of understanding, a lot of experience making a ton of pizzas mm. um, just to really start getting our name out there, which then eventually kind of sort of went to waste just because we ended up opening up under the Poly G moniker instead. Um, we converted a few of those guests that came over, and I think maybe one of them became an investor. So I guess maybe it wasn't a total waste. But, yeah, nice. it was a lot of fun. It was a lot. Of, it was a lot of fun just hanging out with like my old high school buddies who I hadn't seen in a while. We get yeah. together every Wednesday, make dough, make cheese, all that good stuff, and then get together Saturday and knock out pizzas. So now you said that you were looking for mentors that were, if not career changers, then at least, well, yeah, I guess career changers, right? Career changers. Really. I would have been the worst for that. So I'm glad you didn't reach out to me. I would have told you don't open a restaurant. I'm at, you know, I'm at that point now when someone's like, I want to open a restaurant. I'm like, are you sure? Like maybe you want to think about that because it's. We've definitely yeah. had a rough go from the start, so. Well, and now I've eaten at your place a number of times. I've been Thank delighted you. every time. Thank you for the you support. Know. You worked uh, on our line. I worked on your line yeah. at one point. That like, was, yeah. it, I mean, it sucked because while I was there, one of your staff members got injured, slipped and fell down the stairs and, like, twisted his ankle. And so I ended up sticking around longer. I don't even remember that. I, young Latino kid, I forget his name. Pablo? But I don't, I don't remember. Stocky? I don't know. Ah. Uh, okay. I saw him only in passing, and okay. so I hung out a little bit longer, but like I think I told you, my first two jobs were pizza, yeah. and that's how I got into the industry, right, when I was 14 years old, and uh, I have a 14-year-old son now, and I'm looking at him like, you're not going to have a job where you're working until 1 o'clock in the morning crazy, for a bunch man. of weirdos. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it was, you had asked me when I came in, you were like, what are you even doing here? And it was just because what I do now is so much more management than it is cooking, yeah. you know? Like, I went into the school today by myself just to receive some orders and prep because my staff doesn't let me cook, you know? My uh, staff either. They rarely let me on the line anymore. And it was just so nice to just be like, you know what, all I'm doing right now is cooking. This is great. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but it's not, um, you're not wrong. It is very fast. So if you could, because I actually don't know all the terminology and stuff, what's the difference between, like, your style of pizza and maybe what people think of as being pizza as far as like timing and dough texture and stuff like that. I mean, I think the biggest difference with what fast food, I'll say fast food, it's not really fast food pizza, but like your Domino's, your Little Caesars, your pizza that's on the day, like is, is a lot of it just comes down to good quality ingredients, right? Like whether they're, I know Domino's is all about quality ingredients, that's yeah. part of their logo. But, and Papa John's too. <laughs> oh, Papa John's, that's right, I get them confused. But like you can, you can taste, there's like... There's definitely stabilizers. There's other chemicals mm -hmm. and stuff like that in there. Domino's has improved significantly. So I don't know. Maybe there's there's might be the closest to like a decent quality pizza, but they're really a tech company. Like everything yeah. they're invested in is more like how do we get the delivery, how do we get the efficiency, things like that. Um, you know, for our dough, we like for our for our Detroit style. You know, we use a starter as part of our process, which develops a lot of that sourdough flavor mm -hmm. and creates that flavor uh, texture, flavor, all the things we need for the proper rise. For the wood fire, you know, we age that dough for. Four days huh. and so it's a whole process of like you have to think four days in advance how much dough do I need what are we going to work with I mean you can go up and down a little bit if you're running over or under the dough but you know to develop the right flavor to get the right texture to get the rise that we want like it's a whole process that you're dedicated to as opposed to just like oh I, I'm almost out of dough let me make dough two hours before starting and throw a bunch of yeast in it and let right, it go right. right and so I think that's the key difference between us and like the big pizza companies the big pizza companies just can't operate that way. You know, it's not right. space efficient. It's not cost efficient from a labor perspective. 
Um, and you know, we're this is this is why we charge more. And this is why <laughs> when people come to us and they're like, "Well, I can get a Domino's pizza for seven bucks. Why should I choose you?" I can't. I can't tell you not to choose Domino's <laughs> pizza. Right? There's like yeah. a time and a place for a little Caesar five dollar, you know, hot and ready. And there's a time and a place for a twenty dollar, twelve inch like wood fired pizza made with care with hot, fresher ingredients than most. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, I think that's the key difference, really, the quality and the, the prep that goes into it. I mean, there's definitely that, and, like, I've found, because I've been making more pizza here at the house. We do pizza in a movie night on Fridays, right? So today, as we record, uh, we're going to be eating pizza tonight that I'm making. I have a... What style are you making? So, I, I'm not putting the care into it that you would, so I'm a little embarrassed, but I, I do have a Detroit-style pizza pan, so I've made... It's probably closer to a focaccia dough, to be completely honest. It's a straight dough, regular yeast, it's got a little sugar in it, it's got a bunch of olive oil in it. Um, it's gonna get me there, yeah. you know. You know, and the, if the kids eat it, that's everything. Bingo. That's everything. Well, so my daughter is an aficionado of uh, Domino's. Uh, Loves Domino's. Don't know why. I'm not gonna, you know, criticize her for it. But when I make pizza, she'll eat it as well. Yeah. So it's I'm not that worried. Honestly, Domino's like their thin crust, pretty good. Cracker thin, like yeah, pretty tasty. And they've come a long way. I remember Domino's being terrible when we were kids. Oh, it was the worst. Right. And yeah. I remember Pizza Hut being good when we were kids. Mm-hmm. And I feel like they've gone like. I feel like Pizza Hut's quality is tanked, and Domino's yeah. really did reinvent themselves and improve their qualities in every other way. You're not wrong about Domino's being primarily a tech company because there's it's on lockdown. Their website is good. Their oh their ordering system, their delivery, all it's of that amazing. is amazing. Yeah, and it it strikes me as odd that nobody else has really been able to figure out a way to do that. Mm. But you have to be a certain size to be able to manage that kind of a output, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's challenging. I mean, I think you could. It's a question of where you want to invest your resources, right? Yeah. And ultimately, where do you get your bang for your buck? Domino's, you can't sit down. Well, can you sit down at a Domino's and eat? I guess yeah. there's a few shops that have it. Um, but for the majority, I'm sure 95% of their sales is through delivery or pickup or something fast-paced, which means like they're they're catering to that market. Right? Yeah. As opposed to our Logan Square location. like you know, It used to, it used to be 95% dining, and now it's closer to like 85, 90. But our focus is like the guest experience and ambiance and all that other yeah. stuff. You have to invest your resources where it pays out. I was going to say, that is such a cool space. What was that before? It was an Aztecian steakhouse before me. And then before that, at some point it was a nightclub. Because I still get locals coming in telling me I used to glow upstairs in the VIP room. Oh, very nice. Yeah. <laughs> so that's where you the tell memories, them, like, look, the we're bringing it back. We're bring- just keep checking in. We're bringing it back. Because that, that space, that's one of my, like... You can make a great product. You know this as well as I do. You can make a great product, and if the service is terrible, people aren't going to come back. If the decor is terrible, people aren't going to come back, right? Like, all of those pieces have to work together. It's such a great room. Thank That's you. just such a cool room. I feel like it's very 50-50. Like, I think I have guests and staff, even, that think, you know, this room could be decorated up nicely. You could do more to it, and it's, it looks like it's just too bare. And then the other 50% say, this is this is perfect. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the ambiance is where it is. So I feel like I'm always struggling with, well, we do do a big redesign or do we not I'm still leaning towards not for now but yeah i think i think you're right i think in the current day you have to have the right ambiance the right quality of food and the right level of service and if you have all three in theory you should be a winner but yeah it's very rare that most places have all three they can usually people get two and it's because like you were saying about the tech at a place like a domino's it depends on where you want to put your resources right so somebody with a business background like you you're going to see things that somebody who just has a strict um, culinary background like me, I'm not going to see. I'm not great with front-of-the-house stuff, right? Mm-hmm. I lean on people for that. 
Uh, and so, like, that space, you could very easily, if you decide that you want to start some sort of a, a, a redesign or whatever, could turn into a Bennigan's in a hurry. You know, right. canoes on the walls and shit like that. <laughs> and it'd be the worst, you know? Because where do you draw that line between, like, we're going to make it cool, yeah. and all of a sudden, you know, it's covered in license plates and this stuff. Is, and that's hard for me. Like, I'm not, I'm very much a function, function over form kind of person, right? Like, I look at that space and I'm like, all right. It's nice. It's nice enough. It's good. Yeah. It's comfortable. But then I look at like down the street at other places that have just put a ton into the ambiance and the food quality is good but not amazing, and they're like packed out all the time. And it makes me start questioning like maybe I should be putting more in the ambiance. And it's an area that I don't have enough skill or knowledge in. So like the next few projects we're looking at, I'm like, we need to hire an interior decorator. Like everyone on my team I've hired is really for function over form. Yeah. So I'm like, we need to get some experts in here to really help us get that third goal to make sure that we. Can I wonder how much, and I, God, I hate to be that old guy about it, but I. I wonder how much. The like Instagram photo of your food culture drives that from an exterior perspective, right? Where like, your your restaurant could be gorgeous, but if somebody can't get the right lighting on their plate, one star. Oh, right? there's definitely places that plan for that. Right? Yeah. You go to. Uh, I've been to so many burger places, it's tough to nail that it's, down. Sorry, it's, they have one in Wicker Park. Um, oh, Ocheval. Ocheval, yeah, yeah, yeah. Whenever you eat at Ocheval, it's like, there is a spotlight directly <laughs> on the center of the table, and they drop that plate right there yeah, every yeah. single time. It's planned. It's totally planned. And then how many restaurants have wings that you can take a background with, picture with nowadays? It's insane. Right. It's crazy. Um, but no, I agree. It, as much as... I'm a firm believer that it, if I can go to like a shithole and eat amazing food... Yeah. I, don't, I don't need the ambiance. But I think that's rare and few and far between more and more. Like, you can't... The general populace just doesn't... They want it all. And that's <laughs> that's the next challenge, I think, so... Yeah, I, I still hold to that... It would be tougher with pizza, but I still hold to that template of, like, if I go to a Mexican restaurant and it's primarily Latino folks in there, I'm going, oh, this place is going to be great. Yeah, you know? we do the same for Chinese, Chinese restaurants, I, too. There you yeah, go. Absolutely. Boy, that's a whole separate show. No, I could talk God. to you about that food oh, all day. God, yes, for sure. It's so I'm 44, right? Which is tough to say out loud, but I've been cooking. <laughs> I've been cooking for 30 years now, and every time I look into something, I realize there's a whole shitload of stuff I don't know anything about, oh, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. And so now it's like I'm I'm almost in a position where I'm constantly apologizing for my ignorance, but like I can't know everything. No. And so the other day I made a, a it was a I just misspoke right between thailand and taiwan talking about thai food mm -hmm. and i misspoke i got roasted for it and it's just like well i am sorry i cannot know everything <laughs> i just it's can't impossible. do it yeah i mean i think you can it's it's an interesting time where you can learn so much through instagram youtube and all these other things yeah so like if you take the time and try to learn it you can but also you know you're a father you're a family man you have a job like yeah. there's only so much time in the day that like how much can you dedicate to like work related or hobby related or anything really there's like yeah. a balance to it so i totally get it, totally get it. well and I'm, I'm a big reader right which is great except i can get overwhelmed so i'll read a book that's about food and then i've got to read two you know star wars novels from the 80s <laughs> because i just can't do it I, I read two restaurant based or food based books back to back and i just my brain just stopped i was like i can't learn anything else today yeah, <laughs> you know sure. uh it gets to be too much um I wanted to get back to pizza. I don't. I don't want to grill you about it necessarily, but like, 
when you went from running your own thing to doing the poly g's thing was that was that a hard transition did they come in with like here's exactly how to make the dough here's exactly what the menu looks like how prescriptive was it it was not very prescriptive so it's it's one of these franchises where and Pauly designs it this way he wants us to have a little bit more leadership and a little bit more flexibility with making it our own huh. and so the detroit style pizzas are something that i created that you know you can only find in the chicago location um the pizzas that we started with were mostly wood fired. You know, we carried over his salad. We carried over like eighty percent of the menu when we open was the Poly Beach menu. It's kind of like if you're a cover band, you're gonna play the greatest hits, right? Like, <laughs> right. Play the greatest hits. Right. Um, and then after that, once we started establishing ourselves, once we got the crew flowing and things going well, we started introducing other things and you know more local things, and different ideas. Um, some to Charlie, uh, some to Paulie's chagrin, just because he's got these hard set rules of like certain ingredients not belonging on pizza at all some which ah, i agree with but sure some that i'm like really like no peppers on pizza come on now. um oh i'm gonna have to go with him on that one you don't like peppers on pizza it takes over for me peppers like like a bell pepper yeah. is just so strong even it doesn't matter what else is on there roasted down even if it's like i don't know if i've had a roasted pepper so that's the problem with the, the like our upbringing yeah. of a place like domino's or pizza where they just chuck raw oh, yeah, peppers yeah. on there and they it's the worst. Well, yeah, as it gets soggy and all this other stuff. Yeah. Like certain ingredients, you have to treat first for sure. Bingo. Yeah, um, yeah. He's got no poultry, no. Pe- for a while, it was no pepperoni. So hmm. he had this whole list of peas <laughs> that were like, you can't have these pea items on pizzas. Um, but he's he's gotten lenient since then, just because as he opens franchises, he realizes he needs to give us some space to play through. So. Gotcha. Well, I guess that brings up the obvious then. Where do you stand on pineapple on pizza? Because I have feelings. <laughs> Ooh, this, this podcast may end soon. I, <laughs> um, I am for pineapple. I Growing up, I would... There was some point where I was eating enough pizza with the family. I'm like, all right, I need to protein up and eat a little healthier. So I ate a chicken pineapple jalapeno pizza very regularly. And that was my go-to. Um, I go back now and taste it. I'm like, this isn't very good. <laughs> like, well, so I feel like we're in the same camp on this one. Because... I feel like people who don't like pineapple on pizza have had a bad Hawaiian pizza at some oh, point. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's probably just like that whole thing was bad and they're blaming the pineapple. Oh, yeah. But, like, the way that you and I look at it, it's an ingredient. It's sweet. It's a little bit acidic. Uh-huh. It's kind of mushy. Uh-huh. So you pair it with things that are smoky, meaty, salty, briny, things like that. So I made a, a shredded roasted chicken feta pineapple pizza with spinach here nice. at the house. It was great. It all worked together. But yeah. if you're just like, oh, I've got this pizza, I'm going to chuck some pineapple on it. Well, if you're just chucking anything on it, it's probably not going to be great. It's the same as the veggies, right? Yeah. I mean, I think yeah. people that don't like pineapple probably don't like, like, dole out of the can, diced up, and put right on the pizza. Bingo. But if you're roasting that pineapple down, getting it so that the texture's a little thick, and it's like, you know, you get that smokiness, totally. I think there's, it's like any ingredient. If you treat it right, like, it can shine properly. So I, I worked at a fancy burger place that I've kept the name of that restaurant off of this show because Ooh. the people who owned it were, like, you know restaurant people. Crazy, vindictive, <laughs> right? Like, you know you know those restaurant owners who you are their best friend and then you quit and they hate you forever, right? Like, there's just that switch, oh so it's gosh. that. But I put pineapple on a burger because we, we did, like, almost like a like a Kumas, right? Like, it's just massive sort of a burger right, thing. You can't fit your mouth around. Bingo. Burgers, yeah. And the owners were like, you can't put pineapple on a burger. And I was like, let me make you one, and we'll see what you think. And so I did a burger that was like a Cajun spice uh-huh. on the outside, and then I basically did a grilled pineapple salsa, like a relish on top. 
and that they had that same response. They were like, we don't want to like this, but it's good. I said, all right, well, there you go. That's we, everything. We ran it as a special. It didn't last very long, but, like, that was the idea. I don't know place you worked at before, and I'll have to do that you, off the show. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> it's one of those where, like, the statute of limitations has probably run out by now. This would have been 15 years ago, 14 years ago. Oh, okay. But you never know. Yeah, oh, for sure. <laughs> yeah, I think, I feel like the biggest complainers about pineapple are Italians, or Italian-Americans. That just don't believe pineapple belongs on pizza. But then you go to Italy and they have like French fries and ketchup on pizza. Like, are you kidding yeah. me? Come on. Like, if you're if you're okay with French fries on pizza, give pineapples a chance. So I was again not prepared for pizza in Italy. This would have been, <clears throat> excuse me, 1998. Mm. A long time ago, right? My wife was studying in France for her spring break. We met up and we did like the whole southern coast of Italy, and. On the way back, we ended up in Provence, which is where she was studying, and we had pizza at this bar, and I, the French do wild things with pizza, right? And it was, you know, like a hearth style, you know, like a Neapolitan kind of pizza, but this was in the era of, like, shaved white cheese with um, very thinly sliced asparagus with an egg in the middle and truffle all over the oh, whole yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. And that's kind of gauche now to do that sort of thing, <laughs> but I was not prepared for it. So did you enjoy it or did you not enjoy it? I do not remember. I just remember having my uh, mind blown by the thing. Yeah. Like, okay. yeah. Yeah. I mean, it sounds good. I, I no no sauce. Sharing. Yeah, no sauce. Lots of trouble. Lots of garlic. And I did not know what the hell was going on. <laughs> because it, it just changed the way I thought about pizza. Well, sort of in general. against everything that our American palate grew up with. Bingo. Right? It's like... Yeah. Heavy sauce, heavy cheese, like falling off cheese pulls kind of thing. It's like, yeah, it's a very different approach for sure. Pizza is not the same pizza that Italy designed. Uh, right, right. So in Chicago deep dish for sure. Oof, that's a whole other <laughs> game. I love myself some deep dish, but I've got to be in the right mood for it. Exactly. You know? Guests have to be over. It has to be the right time or a yeah. special occasion. Maybe mom wants it for Mother's Day and we get some deep dish. Like we yeah. figure it out. But yeah. Well, like people from out of town, mm. you know, and those, so like. My dad loves Lou Malnati's, and it's just something about it bothers me, but there's another restaurant called Moretti's, and their version of that, yeah. far superior as far as I'm concerned. Interesting. And there's one just up here in Park Ridge, so we go there every so often, and I'm just like, oh, just dropped 120 bucks on pizza. <laughs> you know? It'll feed you for six days, so like, you're good to go. Yeah. That's like a slice yeah. a day. Even with my hulking, surly 14-year-old son who can put away like four pieces on his own, oh we're still we're still into pizza for a while. That's awesome. But, that's one of my favorite things about it, and it seems like you've got the the two things that you do, and I've had both. I've had your your regular the uh, Neapolitan, and I've had the Detroit. Love them both, uh, but that's one of my favorite things about pizza is all the different things that people are doing. It's part of the fun. It's yeah, part of the fun of pizza. Pizza, the politics of pizza. What are you going to do? <laughs> what are you gonna do? So now you said your background is Chinese. Yes, you were you're born here. Born here. Yep, ABC. <laughs> American-born Chinese. Yep. So um, now then, how, I don't. I don't know if this is the right question or not. But how does that influence what you do in the restaurant? Uh, so for me, I like to introduce new and interesting ingredients from my childhood that weren't necessarily related to pizza. I'm a pizza where I can. I'm not very good at it though, which is good <laughs> that I've got a managing partner now that has like a true culinary background. I mean, there was this. There's something called zo song, which is um, like a shredded. Like, it's like call it hairy pork they call it um, pork sung and so what it is it's like a dried pork that's cooked with sugar and it's dried and then shredded to the point where it's shredded so thin that it actually looks like hair oh. um, great flavor huge umami boost um, and I tried probably five or six different renditions of putting because I'm like 
I love this stuff. I used to grow up, my, my grandfather used to eat this stuff all the time just between white bread and mm-hmm. just, be like a lunch, right? Um, and I'd, I'd bring it to school until I got made fun of and I stopped bringing it to school. Um, but I wanted it on a pizza because I'm like, there's got to be a way to put this on a pizza. So I tried five different renditions. And the last one that I tried, my mom said, this is the worst pizza you've ever made. Please <laughs> promise me you'll never put this on the menu. And at that point, I'm like, Tony, my managing partner with the culinary background, yeah. Tony, figure this out. Put this on a pizza. He tried twice, and then he, like, created this masterpiece that was just, like, perfect. I'm like, clearly I need to, you know, adjust my focus of what I need to do in this organization now. So, <laughs> wow. So that's, it's, it's interesting being basic, like, right off of the assembly line white guy. Uh, when I'm like, oh, I want to bring my background to stuff, it's like, mm, Michigan doesn't really have, like, a cuisine. So it's tough for me to do that. Luckily for me, my wife's from Puerto Rico, so we have a the influence from her childhood from her background and stuff like that so that i I do some of that i have to be careful not to get too fancy with the stuff of hers that i make because then it becomes insulting to like her parents to to, the the impulse to make it to not just make it but to make it better gets me in trouble yeah um i i think the issue is though is the attitude of trying to make it better right? yeah and i think we yeah. look at it as like making it different or making my version of it right it's much more acceptable but you know it, it kind of this is one of those things that's hurt me ever since the pandemic right at some point when cancel culture came around it became not okay to make minority food if you weren't from that minority mm. and i it's something that drives me insane i mean like with how social media and how internet and how knowledge works nowadays and how much travel that we can do nowadays, yeah, it just seems unfair, honestly. And, you know, there's people in our, people within our circles mm. that have, like, spent their life studying certain maybe Korean food or, you know, Mexican yeah. food or whatever. And if, if you're just a white male and you want to open a store or a cart or something along those lines, like, there's just so much resistance. And yeah. it, just, it just seems ridiculous to me. I'm like... But, you know, this is coming from a Chinese guy that's making quasi-Italian food. So, like, I don't know, yeah. man. I, it's it's something that I hope that people will start reconsidering and start, you know, just, it's food. Let, let people yeah. make it and let people, you know, if they're dedicated and passionate about it, you know, maybe they're doing something good and just be open-minded first. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of those proof is in the pudding sort of things. Like, there's a fine line between... I've lo- like to to be uh, not to name drop, but like to be a Rick Bayless, where it's like the dude had a anthrop anthropology degree, yep. yep, but focused on Mexico. Dude spent a whole bunch of time down there. He like spent time living in people's houses and learning how to make the food, and then he brought that to Chicago to be like, look, it's not Taco Bell. Here's the the rich history and all that kind of stuff. It's a fine line between that and being somebody who's like, I'm gonna put goji berries on everything and. <laughs> call it a thing you know and yeah, just it's true it's yeah true. so i don't know i don't have the answer to that either <laughs> I, I don't think so either i just think society's on a weird bend right now that it's yeah. like this cancel culture thing is just, just a little some of it's a little out of hand some of it is totally appropriate like i feel yeah. like some of the you know the restaurant the old restaurant culture of things that were happening and the harassment and some of that stuff for sure um but i feel like some of it's gone a little too far too so yeah well now that's a great place to go next hiring recruitment uh retaining staff how how is the because i i'm sheltered from the industry a little bit in my job but we still have the same base problems everybody else does sure how's that working out for you what are, what are you seeing right now uh, i mean in the worst of times i think we were just like everyone else we were having a tough time hiring because i just think that there were a lot of not people well so i don't know for sure it seemed like a lot of 
industry did not want to come back to work, mm. and understandably so, right? Um, someone else with a much more morbid approach that a lot of industry just died, which may be true too. I mean, you know, not only, hopefully not, but who knows? Um, I think we jump started and we were able to get back fairly quickly because we had a pretty good core team to begin with, um, especially our kitchen team. And then during COVID, we actually switched over to a 20% service fee with every order, whether it was takeout or dine-in, um, and it's meant to be the tip, essentially. And we split it evenly across the board for everyone that worked that day. So mm. it didn't matter if you were prep, dishwasher, bartender. If five people worked that day, that tip went five ways, and it went to everyone. Um, and so that really bolstered our kitchen team and bolstered our dish team, our support staff, things like that. Um, it did take away a little bit from our service staff, and that became the difficult thing. But you know, it's my stance is you need every piece to run properly. It's mm -hmm. like what we talked about, right? The quality of the food, the ambiance, and the service all have to be great in order to be a great place. And so it's something that I've wanted to shift to for a long time. And we did like tip sharing, and we slowly creeped towards it little by little. But during COVID was really the time that it made sense mm. because we, you know, the service team, there was no tables of service. Like yeah. you were just in the window and. You know, we were serving out pizzas from the window, we were taking care of guests the best we could, but there was no long-term service. Um, and so that has helped us significantly retain our kitchen talent, um, as well as just build a good culture around respecting each other, working together, because then it becomes about, well, what's the customer experience? And it's no longer, that's my customer, this mm. is the team's customer, right? Yeah. It doesn't matter if it's the pizza maker that's bringing out the pizza and getting an extra side of sauce for them, or if it's the server, whatever we can do to make that experience better for the guests, becomes a team initiative as opposed to an individual initiative because everyone gets a piece of that action at this point. Um, more recently, this year, we just introduced, we were finally able to introduce getting insurance for staff. Right. Um, and so anyone above 30 hours a week with us that has worked with us for longer than two months now qualifies for insurance. And so that was a fairly risky move that right now seems to be working well. And that, that retention helps a lot too. And it's great for our employees, you know, to be able to have insurance, to be able to go to the dentist, to get their eyes checked, things like that, especially in an industry where, you know, a lot of them live paycheck to paycheck. Mm -hmm. and so it's very difficult. Um, so it's, it's kind of nice to have insurance, even for myself. Like, you know, I was <laughs> right. like paying out the nose for government insurance for the last probably like five years, six years. And so now being able to like have insurance through the company makes a huge difference. Yeah. yeah. I just celebrated seven years at this job. Uh, a couple weeks ago. Congrats. Which is by far the longest job I've ever had, yeah. speaking of retainment. And previous to that, my longest job was the one before that, which is about three and a half years. Mm -hmm. And those 10 years are the only time in my career I've ever had health insurance, oh, right? Like, so the first 20 years of my career, what you were talking about, right? Yeah. Wage work, paycheck to paycheck. Although that was a lot of bad financial management on my part, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, I, I was just, I was a kid, you know, what are you going to do? And, and the industry culture allowed me to be a kid well into my oh, late 20s, you Peter know. Peter Pan syndrome, man. We, Bingo. we talk about it all the oh, time, yeah. And so that's a nice balance because you can say to uh, even an applicant, but definitely to somebody who's been with you for a while, here's what we're going to pay you that's above and beyond, and here's health insurance, which is also above and beyond. That's tangible stuff. But the intangible, like, uh team building i hate to use that term because it's kind of hackneyed yeah, but yeah. that's the tougher thing to get a hold of yeah and uh i would say just as important yeah i mean i think that i had a hand in it but really more and more it comes down to the team that's there right and you have natural leaders you have leaders
procedures that you appoint. And as long as you make it, as long as they're making it a priority, because you made it a priority, to really make it a team, like a balanced team, and make it so that we do hang out after each other. You know, you don't have to, but yeah. people like to hang out with each other. They enjoy each other's personalities. I think the biggest thing for us when we interview is, you know, is this someone that I want to grab a beer with after my shift? Mm. That sounds simple and silly, but realistically, it's like you want to enjoy the people you work with. The yeah. last thing you want yeah. to do is dread going into work because you have to work with so and so. Yeah, and that's can be very challenging. And we definitely had some toxic individuals that you know in the last couple of years we were able to like let go of and do other things with. Um, but it's it's tough. It's tough and tough to build the team. Yeah, well, that and especially now with the smaller uh, employee pool to draw from. Like yeah. it used to be, I remember days I would be in my whites with my chef bag standing in line to apply for a job oh yeah and now boy those days are gone <laughs> i mean it's a shift right it's like what can the company do for me now as yeah. what can i do for the company and i'm okay with that i think like it's it's a good thing it's a good thing for individuals to be able to have selection and have choices and you know it's a good thing if companies can afford it yeah. to be able to pay a little bit more to really take care of your employees like this minimum wage stuff is it's tough it's yeah. tough to live on well and like you were saying about moving on moving away from toxic individuals because you're right one toxic individual is going to bring down a whole crew no, sure. and you're going to end up if you baby that one person along losing the other 10 or yeah, whatever because they, they no longer respect the job they no longer respect yeah. you like whatever it is like at some point this is, and these are hard lessons learned over time right like you yeah. just you realize that they're toxic you gotta cut them yeah well we just did that at my job and it's like i'm not in the position where i can be picky because yeah. I have I employ six cooks, mm. and when one of them is out, that's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not like I've got a crew of thirty, and if one's out, you don't really notice it, right? Like this is it's a big deal. But we had somebody who had to move on because there was no drama in the kitchen unless this one person was involved. Yeah. <laughs> it's just yeah. like if if they were also doing a bang up job, that might be different. But that was also not the case, you know. And you have to look at all of that. Yeah, for sure. It's the whole picture. It's the big picture for sure. Now, question for you, because this is just occurring to me now. How much has fatherhood influenced or informed your management style? Do you find that at all? Um, some. I think I manage my daughter a little bit differently than I manage yeah, my staff. Yeah. But in some ways, I mean, it's there are some similarities, right? Like coaching and trying to get them to like grow and develop the way you want them to do. Um, fatherhood was, I don't want to say thrust upon me, but she, you know, my daughter came 10 weeks early, so a little bit thrust upon me right when we were about to open the restaurant. So I kind of moved into this restaurant owner role and being a father at the same time. Uh, <laughs> one of my managing partners, Will, was like, he, he said he felt bad for me, which is why he joined the team. Um, <laughs> he's, he, he runs most of the restaurant ops for us, which is great. Um, I don't know. I don't know that it, man, I guess some of the books that I read and some of the management theories that I read about between the parenting books as well as the management books, I, I guess there is some crossover and there's definitely some it makes sense right like learning how to set proper boundaries teaching yeah. them how to set proper boundaries teaching them like responsibility and building that responsibility there's definitely crossover but you know i'm not talking to my staff like they're seven on their show. yeah yeah but the mentality's there that's true and like trying to get them to think and inspire and getting them to be the best that they can be right it's definitely in there for sure well and i wonder about that because you i don't i want to presume but you seem to be social media wise at least to be in a, a, a stable relationship and a, a parent child environment kind of the thing never ever saw that when i was a kid coming up in the industry every chef i ever worked for was alcoholic divorced horrible person and it, i just i wonder if 
chef managers and restaurant managers like you and I just bring something else to the table because of the experience with raising kids. I mean, it may be, right? I think once you, I, I was reading somewhere recently and really like having a kid is one of the things that truly turn you into an adult. Like there's nothing more adult than when you are suddenly responsible for another person's life yeah. that you love more than life itself ultimately, right? Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't, you know, I, I know what you're talking about. I've, I've worked in a few restaurants before I opened up my own just to understand the industry a little bit, just to understand the hours, understand the balance between front of house, back of house, and, you know, picked up as much as I could learn. And there is definitely this culture, and I, I think it goes back to the Peter Pan syndrome. Yeah. Like, if you grew up in industry, and these were your role models, and these were the people you hang out with, right, it goes back to the saying, like, you are the five people you hang out with the most. Mm -hmm. So if those people are out partying, drinking every night, doing drugs, whatever it is, sleeping three hours and then showing up for shit the next day, like, that's going to be your life because that's your influence, right? And if you're not using that background or you have a different culture, whatever it's going to be, that's going to be your life and that's going to be your influence. Um, and, you know, for me, I, I just came from a different background. I, think. Yeah. I didn't come up through industry, which is definitely had its detriments, but I also think there are some positive aspects to it, which I've been able to help bring to the staff. And it's, you know, it's, it's interesting to see how different the staff has grown up compared to how I've grown up. Yeah. Um, and trying to teach them a little bit more about, you know, things like saving money or things like investing or things like that. Trying to get them to grow into different aspects of life too has been, it's been, mm -hmm. a, it's been a process, but also very rewarding. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, talking about, all your coworkers going out and then getting three hours of sleep. It's like you were there for the first 20 years of my, yeah. <laughs> of my career. I mean, it's, I still see it, right? Yeah. Some of our staff. Uh, most of our staff, though, are pretty good about it, right? And I've got a few members that are very health conscious, and they, they know it. Like, And you can, it's interesting to watch the emotional maturity of the staff, right? And you, some are super emotional mature, and they, they know, like, if I'm drinking every day, I'm going to feel like shit, and I'm not going to yeah. perform well at work, and I don't feel good when I do And there are others that still haven't quite caught on. And it's one of those things where... You gotta let them. You gotta give them just enough rope, and then see where it right. goes from there. And pull them back in if you need to. But. Right. It's interesting. I, one of the things that I'm trying to instill in my staff these days is advocating for themselves. Mm -hmm. Right. Which is great as like a peer, but as a boss, I don't necessarily want them to do that to me. That's you like know? parenthood. It's exactly. Like parenthood. It's exactly. I'm like, what I want it is. my daughter to be independent and yeah. feisty, but not when I'm asking <laughs> you to brush your teeth and like bathe yourself. Like, let's go. <laughs> like. I, I guess I've never thought about it before, but there are, way, not like you said, I don't talk to my staff like they're seven. Yeah. My son's 14, my daughter's 10, and these days, one of the things we're trying really hard to do with them consciously is to, they're frustrated, they don't understand, rather than just saying, like my mom would, I'm the mom, that's why, yeah. right? Like that was my mom's line. Yeah. We try to talk it out with the kids. Even if they're not going to get the result they want, they should know all the steps involved. Absolutely. And I have been doing the same thing with my staff, and I hope I'm not talking down to them. Because <laughs> I've always said there's three kinds of problems, right? There's a problem you can fix right away. Mm -hmm. There's a problem you can fix after a while. Mm -hmm. And then there's a problem that's not really a problem, because probably you're the problem, yeah. you know? And identifying those three, like, I've had that talk with my kids, and I've had that talk with my staff. They're like, For look, sure. this isn't really a problem. This is just how we do stuff. And if you don't want to do it, maybe you shouldn't work here, you know? Yeah. I don't get to do that with the kids, necessarily. <laughs> Maybe you should pick another thing. <laughs> That's wild. I might have to think about that a little bit more. I don't want to have there be too much crossover, because I also don't need to be my staff's dad. Like you were saying, they need to... They need to be able to grow and handle it. Yeah. But also, like, I think it's important that someone's 
they know that someone's got their back and someone yeah. does care for them, right? Um, above and beyond just the work aspect. And I think that's partially what makes our staff so strong that, you know, we have team leaders in place and I'm, I'm checking in on staff and, like, I'm, I'm not hiring people just to, like, fill a role. I'm hiring mm-hmm. someone that I know is going to be on the team and that I want to get to know. And at some point, as we grow the organization, I know that that'll shift. I won't be able to know my, like, every single pizza maker that crosses paths. Like, even now at Wicker Park, you know, there are staff that have been hired, and I'm like, maybe I've met them twice in the last month, and I still don't know them very well yet. So it's, it's, but then you have to instill that, I think, and push that down so that your next managing partner, your next, like, team leader, or your next general manager has that same approach, because it's, you know, you have to take care of people. You take yeah. care of people, and they take care of you, and it's important. And that's always been one of the big contrasts in the restaurant industry for me is that all we do all day is take care of people and they're all strangers and then the people right next to you on the line you're the shittiest human being possible to them (laughs) i've never even as a kid coming up in this industry because we normalize stuff like that yeah that was one that stuck out to me where i was like aren't we supposed to be taking care of people and the guy next to me like i'm afraid he's gonna stab me (laughs) (laughs) in corporate world it was all like internal customer service right that's Ah. what they called it and it was one of these like okay, great, we're taking care of our clients, we're taking care of the people that pay our bills and stuff, but, like, how are you taking care of your own team? Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I feel like I'm mostly naturally a friendly person anyway, but a lot of the books that I've read, you know, talk about that internal customer service and taking care of each other, and, I, you know, I try to preach that with our team when we can, and I think it's important. But you can only preach so much. At some point, people either are inclined to it and they like to do it because they want to, or they're not, and this is a 9 to 5 and they're clocking in and out and they have a yeah. shitty attitude. And so it's like you talked about. At some point, you've just got to cut ties with the people that are going to be toxic to your group. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It also, like I hate to say it, but when you do that, you do get a little bit of a boost of respect from your staff. Oh, when sure. the staff, because that is also a, a manner of taking care of your staff. If yeah. you can, If you can identify this one particular person is not only not doing that job, they're making everybody else's day suck. Yeah. We're going to get rid of them. You get... It's probably not the right response, but you get a little bit more respect out of your staff for that. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it's it's sad when you have to make an example. It's essentially making an example, yeah, right? But yeah. it does show that you care about the team and the team performance more than the individual and just the functionality. So it's, it is important. You're right. Trying to remember, I had at least one other thing to ask you about. Oh, I do want to talk specifically about your Neapolitan pizzas. And you, if they're to go, you don't cut them. Yes. So talk to me about that. So when you cut the pizzas to go, what it does is it creates more surface area to let off more steam. And the steam goes nowhere in that box except for back into that pizza. So it ends up creating soggy slices, right? And so that is something we don't want. Also, we want to encourage people to take that pizza, that wood-fired pizza, and take it home and just toast it up in the oven a little bit. Get mm-hmm. that crisp back, give it a little more heat, get the cheese a little bit melty. Um, you know, those pizzas cook in our ovens anywhere from 60 to 90 seconds. And they're thin, which means that their thermal mass can only get so high, mm. unlike a deep dish pizza or like a Detroit, which can retain a lot more heat because there's more more total like surface and more total um, mass. Yeah, just more mass. Right? Yeah. And so we, what we really encourage is people to reheat those pizzas. And that was something that killed us really in the, in the COVID era, just because... You know, it was great that we were highlighted. It was great that people were just finding out about us. But then their first experience was ordering a wood-fired pizza to go that day. You know, we put it into a box. 15 minutes later, they pick it up. And then it takes them 10 minutes to get home. It's going to be ice cold by that yeah. time. There's no way, right? Like, we'll bring out a wood-fired pizza to a table. And you can taste the difference within a minute of it arriving at the table. Just because it's 
so fast, such a flash fire that cooks that pizza that, you know, the, the texture changes are too quick. Um, and so that really killed us. It's, it's one of these things I've been flirting with for a while. I really want to cut off wood-fired pizzas to go completely. Um, in fact, when we first opened, you were not allowed to take any wood-fired, any pizzas to go for the first six months. And until you had visited us three times and dined in the house, <laughs> you could not get a pizza to go. And it drove people crazy. Oh, yeah. Um, we had these little cards. It was like a Pauly G's Logan Square membership card. And after we had seen you three times, mm. um, then you earn, quote-unquote, earn this card. And then you could flash out the bartender and say, I'd like a pizza to go. Yeah. It's funny because <laughs> there are still guests that have it in their wallet. We nice. don't do that anymore. But, like, um, you know, it was it was a way to teach guests, like, this is what the pizza should taste like. This is what it should feel like. Um, and so, ultimately, that's why we don't cut the pizzas. Yeah. it becomes just a soggy mess. Well, and I'm, I'm lucky, you know, because of training and background and all that kind of stuff. And also, like, you got a quick tour of my kitchen earlier, mm. equipment and space. So it's beautiful. The last time I got pizza from you, I preheated my oven. I have a pizza stone in there, and I slid the whole pizza on. It was amazing. So you're, but <laughs> you so you're the rare exception. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I yeah. think everyone else is trained on Domino's, on yeah. Little Caesars, on Pizza Hut. You know, those boxes are made to retain heat. They're ready to go. They have cars that deliver it that are heated. It's a whole nother game. Yeah. And so your average consumer just doesn't know better. And that was just tanking us in the reviews. Man. People would just call yeah. us and be like, this is the worst pizza I've ever had. And I'm like, well, did you read the instructions on the box? Clearly not. Did you, you know, did you read the instructions where we, and so you can't be glib with the consumer. I can't say that. But right. You can try to hint at it and try to, but you know, once, once they've had it and they're unhappy, it's very difficult to like convince them to try it again. Mm-hmm. Right. I've definitely given away a, a fair share of free pizzas, but most of the time it's like, I'm sorry you didn't like it. Please come in. I will comp a pizza so you can experience it and how it's meant to be. Mm-hmm. And the maybe 10%, 50% that they take me up on that, it recovers and people get it. But that consumer education is tough. Yeah. Buddy of mine, trying to remember exactly what he did, he had, they switched to a to-go program mm-hmm. uh, with COVID and he had a QR code on his receipts that you could scan and it would bring up either Instagram or a TikTok or a Vimeo or something of, like, the reheat instructions. Oh. And that was wild. And I asked him, and he goes, that's every question I ever get is all in that video. And I was just like, huh, wild. How long did that take you to put together? And he goes, way too long. <laughs> <laughs> that's but I, genius. It's also the minute food leaves your hand, it's just nerve-wracking, right? And I know that you guys oh, put true. a lot of, like, fresh... Um, greens and stuff on top of your pizzas you have arugula going on there and stuff like that and even in that case when you're taking that home and reheating it that's still not the best that that green is going to be it's not perfect anymore for sure it's going to wilt down a little bit you're going to lose moisture absolutely and again that unnamed burger place I was at we cut our fries we blanched them and then we fried them and we had like five different seasonings you can get on them people would order them to go they would take them home and they would complain about their soggy fries and it's like well yeah you're eating them 45 minutes later yeah. of course they're terrible because you know? the standard is mcdonald's <laughs> yes. this is like you know what i'm saying it's like what they're used to and what they grew up with and they're like oh yeah. well, i eat mcdonald's fries and an hour later they're still crunchy-esque and so that's that's the problem like yeah our food is not designed to go our food is not designed for long-term like steaming in itself in its own bag type of deal um and i think that's that's the challenge that we face that face for sure well and also the culture of and i I blame burger king for this over and over again you know the your way right away culture Uh, that's pervasive there are kinds of food that will work great 
you know, and I would I would say Americanized Chinese is probably the pinnacle of that. We're like, oh yeah, that the way that food is produced, whether or not it's authentic at all. I don't know. I don't know. Like General Tso's chicken, very Americanized, right? Yeah. But I've definitely had great ones in the restaurant, and then when it's delivery to go from the same restaurant, it's just been soaking for so long, and like, okay. it's just not crispy anymore, right? Because I just think it's. Or I mean, maybe it was whoever was working the walk that day, too. It's yeah. possible. But, you know, to get that so that it stays crisp and get it delivered before that sauce soaks through and makes it so it's no longer crispy. Mm. There was a place in my old neighborhood, living in Portage Park, that anything like that was always in its own separate box. And then you had a little uh, container of the sauce and all that. Uh, yes. And they knew us well enough. I, I'm just such a sucker for that, like, a little too sweet, a little too salty, Americanized quote Chinese food I'm just a sucker because that's that was like the treat when I was a kid yeah you know there's one restaurant in my hometown um but I was always I was really impressed with that where they were like we're not mixing this for you you have to take this home and mix it yourself I love it I love it I think everyone's a sucker for it though it hits all the right notes in your system right it just triggers all those like reward synapses in your brain it's like oh man there's a sweet there's a salty there's a savory it's all there how can you not be (laughs) so now Talk to me about the differences between your two locations, the Logan Square and the, sure. the other, Wicker Park. Yep, Wicker Park. Logan Square is a full sit-down location. It's been open, it'll be seven years this year. Um, and so we offer wood-fired pizza, and we offer Detroit-style pizza over there. Um, cocktails, salads, desserts, full service, you know, you get you get it all type of deal. Wicker Park is a slice shop, about 30 high-top seats. Um, we've got, when you walk in, you'll see nine large 20-inch pizzas cut into eight slices. And you'll be able to pick which slices you want. We'll toast that for 45 seconds, and then you'll be able to eat it off a paper plate or grab it to go or whatever you need. But it's meant to be hang out, get some people watching in, maybe have a drink or two, but really just a couple slices either to start your crazy night or to end your crazy night or like a midday quick meal type of deal. And um, is that the location where I've seen calzones? Yes. Okay. Yes. So we have calzone Thursdays, I want to say. Yes, calzone Thursdays. And uh, there's like a limited set of calzones you can pick. And so one of the things we did during the pandemic was we had a calzone crawl. Um, we had, you know, all the, I think a bunch of the pizzerias were just saying things were a little slower. And so to kind of jumpstart that, especially in the middle of winter, we had five different pizzerias all sign on to this calzone crawl. And so if you went to all five pizzerias uh, across a four week period and got a calzone from each and like ticketed and stamped and all that stuff, you would get this free shirt, limited shirt that was calzone crawl of 2021 or something like that. Nice. All our logos on it. And so we had a bunch of people do it, but also I got to eat a ton of calzones from some of my favorite spots. So it was cool to just see like the different approaches and the different styles, even from like how they braid their crust to their dough and all that stuff. So mm-hmm. it was a lot of fun. It, it sounds like it. Um, just bringing up memories. So my first job was at a mom and pop Italian place where, to be honest, it was awful, right? But like <laughs> we we marinated and roasted whole chickens. We made all of our own sauces, made our pizza dough. I mainly worked the pizza line. Okay. But at the same time, like it was a renovated house that didn't have a hood vent. It had a hole in the wall with a box fan in it. Like it God, was garbage. It so hot. It was the worst. <laughs> but I didn't know any better. I was 14. So my next job was at a much fancier Italian place, but I was working the pizza kitchen for, there was like a bar area, right? Mm-hmm. And we made calzones. And I just remember as a kid that also, that blew my mind. And I just couldn't believe that you could essentially take an entire pizza and just like fold it over into this thing and, uh, no, and kind crazy. of walk away with it you know? giant hot pocket basically basically <laughs> yeah it was uh i i got a very quick education yeah, yeah. <laughs> at that I mean, age it's not hard to make but it's hard to make it's like anything right you can make it but then it's making it great or making it yeah. beautiful and adding all those touches to really make it stand out that's the challenge 
what and I guess I don't know the answer to this uh, what separates that dough from just a pizza dough for a calzone we use the same dough you do okay yeah we use the same dough we just fold it over um, and then we braid it we do other things to it to make it pretty and things like that um, so it's not that we use our New York based dough okay so we have a different dough for our wood fire a different dough for our Detroit and then the New York based dough is the one we use for the calzones um, some places some of my like favorite places actually have one master dough or five different styles of pizza, which I've never quite figured out. Um, so we've, we've always done different doughs for different pizza styles. I am the worst at measuring, writing stuff down, and that kind of <laughs> stuff. Like, Because I, I, I bake so much, and I've worked in a bunch of pizza places, and I, I'm one of those guys, like, I'm not great at any one of those things, mm-hmm. but I can kind of put a pizza dough together yeah. in about an hour, you know, and I'll do that. So today's Friday. I'm behind the ball. I should have done this yesterday, but I'll do what you were talking about. Like, I'll make a pizza dough Thursday morning. Sure. And I'll let it slowly rise throughout the day, and I'll shape it a little bit and keep it in the fridge and whatever, and then by Friday afternoon, it's great. And then when it's really, really good, I'm like, fuck, I wonder what I did. Because <laughs> I'm never writing it down. And then I'm also that guy who will go online and just grab a recipe, and then it won't work, and I'll be like, ah, that recipe sucks. That's part of the fun, <laughs> right? Like, testing yeah. someone else's recipe. And then yeah. you're, like, blameless. And then when you... When you knock it out of the park, you're like, yep, that's me. I got it, baby. This is... <laughs> so now, how much pizza do you eat at home? Um, I don't eat a ton of pizza at home. I still eat a good chunk at the restaurant, usually about a slice a day, just for quality testing or whenever there's a misfire, we send it to the back and maybe I'm snacking. I eat more pizza from other places than I do at my own place, though. I'm, I'm one of the people that I'm always looking for inspiration and looking to learn from others where I can. And so I'm going to be that guy that goes in and, like, What's your what's your most different pizza you've ever had? I've had margaritas up the wazoo all over the world, yeah, right? Yeah. But now I'm like, oh, I've never I've never seen that before. I've never seen like oh zucchini flour and goat cheese. That sounds interesting. So I'm like, let me try that. And so I'm I'm looking for like the next super interesting flavor combination that I have not seen anywhere else or technique. Hmm. Um, yeah. So it's I like to try other people's pizza. In fact, I I've just tried a couple new ones. There was like a Red Star out in the suburbs, which was like a Luminati's clone, but better. Because mm. he's also making like these little mini like pizzas, mm. like deep dish style. They were pretty tasty. Um, and then I'm going to check out Ro- Roberts is making Detroit pizza now. Oh, no kidding. But only on Tuesdays. So I think there's next Tuesday. I gotta find find a colleague or someone that wants to go and try some <laughs> Detroit pizza. So it's it's always fun to chow down on other people's pizza. I think. So now where I mean. Unless you don't want to, to give away your secrets. Where else in the city do you go? Um, time is always the issue. So ah. there's so many places that I love to go, I just can't get to them ah. nearly enough, right? Um, Spockanopoly, Coal Fire, um, I go to Bungalow by Middlebrow. Okay. Um, you know, those are those are the ones that just pop off the top of my Roberts I've been to a few times. Mm-hmm. Really, any pizza place that opens up, I love to check out. Um, one of the deep dish places Millie's Pizza in a Pan like I've okay. ordered that quite a few times for home um, I just got to try what's the sourdough one the deep dish sourdough one that just opened up I can't remember the most recent place I've been to there's a place over on Irving and Austin called Pizza e Pan Payats Colombian Pizza oh it's on my list I have, how'd you like it ah uh, they opened that location, and we went, like, in the first couple of weeks I'm gonna wait and I'm gonna go back okay I don't think a second chance yeah they, like it was opening issues, right? So I, I think we didn't get the best that they can do. Uh, oh, George's Deep Dish. That's the okay. tried okay. that was good. And he uses, like, a really heavy sourdough flavor to the deep dish. He's trying, like... So it's, you know, like I said, it's more interesting for me to try other people's pizza now. And it's less... I feel like I can enjoy it more 
when it's my own pizza, I'll sit there and be hypercritical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is the crust just right? Are the ingredients played just right? Um, so it's you know it's a little bit just being trying to get inspired, but also trying other people's stuff and supporting the community. Yeah, so. yeah. Well, that's one of the things that I've noticed about Chicago versus other cities where I've lived. The the competition is more friendly mm-hmm. here in town. I mean, it does get kind of nasty when it has to, but yeah. like for the most part barbecue restaurants support each other pizza restaurants support each other coffee shops do not (laughs) coffee shops will talk shit about each other but like for the most part it seems to be and i think it's i think it's festival culture i think it's farmer's market culture i think it's also just like during the winter we're also stuck with each other yeah that big rivalries like that don't don't last yeah that's interesting i think pizza definitely has it there's definitely a community even nationwide that is very very community driven but like pizza is a community driven food like who yeah. who sits down and eats a 16 inch pizza by yourself right? <laughs> the whole goal is to like gather the community around and share slices and enjoy it and have like a conversation um, so I I was surprised how welcoming the pizza community was when I first entered it and they're just there are some people that really carry the community but like they're very the new generation is very open with sharing knowledge and helping mm-hmm. the pizza world itself, which is great you know I'm just kind of sick of the mom and pop shops that are like well this is our secret recipe we're never going to tell anyone how yeah. this because then someone dies and like that recipe's lost forever, right? Even in yeah. families. So how well, are we gonna elevate if we don't share and like bring us all together to know up? Yeah. There's a there's a place called Crushed Pizzeria up on Montrose and Ashland, I wanna say. I've heard of it. I haven't been there yet. Though. This this is a guy that I worked with actually at the unnamed burger place. Uh, years ago, years and years and years ago, and his pizza, I don't know if he still does it, but he was in need of a sourdough starter for his pizza, and he called me up and asked if, if he could have a sample of mine. I was like, hell yeah, man. And he does really good pizza as well, and he's not doing, like, wild flavor combinations, but every single thing he chooses very specifically. So he uses a very specific Italian sausage, a very specific uh, fire-roasted tomato. He uses very specific artichokes. Like, he's very... Ronnie's very picky about, like, the individual sourcing of the ingredients. Yeah, a lot of thought. A lot of thought goes into it. Bingo. Yeah. yeah. Sure. Like, he's not trying to set the world on fire with, you know, preserved lemon and, and, and you know, anchovies or whatever and, and doing sort of avant-garde, you know, yeah. topping combinations. He just wants each thing that goes on the pizza to be the best that it is. Yeah. And his pizzas are, are simpler because of it, but I've never had a bad bite That's at amazing. that guest spot. That's perfect. That's yeah. perfect. And, you know, if he's, if he's happy, that's, like, everything. Yeah. You need to be proud of the product you put out. And it shows. It shows in the quality of the pizza, and it shows in your team, and the pride of your team, for sure. I think that's all the questions I have for you. It sounds good. <laughs> Thanks for having me. I feel like this yeah. has been in the planning for a while. So. It's, yeah, with, I mean... It's the same way as how I have to keep adding two years to all my stories because COVID <laughs> just took two years away from us. We've been batting this back and forth for a long time. Yeah, for sure. But for sure. It's, uh, we've even moved now further away from your location, so it's probably going to be even trickier for me to get over there. But, no worries, uh, no worries. Just really great to see you again. By. Yeah, we'll have to have you at the Wicker Park spot sometime. So That's a good let idea. Let me know when you're coming through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then uh, we just finished the upstairs area at Logan Square. So there's a little private area, which I want to start doing some YouTube videos out of. Um, so maybe at some point if you're up for it I'll have you over for a little YouTube interview and we'll make some nice. on camera well I guess maybe that would be my last question I hate to say it but it feels like the Wicker Park store does better social media stuff really? than or at least I see it more often maybe okay. it's an, maybe it's an algorithm thing <laughs> than the Logan Square shop um, 
Tony, did you hear that? He sees it more often. You're doing something right. I love it. So, how important is that? Have you seen, like, what's the ROI? Have you seen that driving business? Is it just fun? Um, I don't think it's just fun, right? Like, I feel like nowadays, if you don't have social media, you're missing out on a huge segment of potential advertising catching people's eyes, and it's important. We do get a lot of guests that come in and they say, oh, yeah, I saw you, I saw your pizza on Instagram, and I bookmarked it, and I finally made it in type of deal. So it does play an impact. Um, the one at Wicker Park is mostly run by Tony, the my, my guy with the culinary background. Is that, is that pepperoni tonight? Yeah, it's pepperoni okay? Tony, yeah, yeah. Um, as <laughs> okay. well as Will. I think Will does a little bit with it, too. And so part of, you know, I, they're managing partners, and so they helped open that restaurant. They Once they hit a certain target, they'll have permanent ownership in that restaurant even if they walk away. Mm. Um, and this, is, this goes back to the whole, like, aligning incentives for team members. But yeah. he runs that one. Um, and he's definitely a little bit more off color than I am. I feel like <laughs> yeah. I run the Logan Square one. You know, I'm a little more conservative. I definitely didn't grow up in industry, and so I also look at my place as like I want it to be accessible by kids, by family. I want I want it to be a spot where you can bring dad and mom yeah. as well as your date, or you know, just to be goofy. But he definitely goes a little bit more off the wall for my taste. My investors have said some stuff about his <laughs> videos too. Um, but all in all, clearly it's working. So yeah. Uh, um, but yeah, he's got some really creative stuff, which I love. It's good, great to see. And he, we just approve of him to get a GoPro from the company funds, so he's gonna probably get a little, even a little more creative. Which nice. Be interesting. Yeah. I have often. I mean, I don't work on a line anymore, but I have always wanted to just strap a, gro a GoPro onto a line cook and just do an entire service. Oh, for sure. Except you're right. That would get off color like by minute one, and that would be, it'd be tough to edit. Just a lot of video editing, a lot of bleeping you'll have to do. It's all right. It's all right. Man. All good. Have you ever strapped a GoPro to your kid and just like? No, I've, I've thought seen about people it. People do that. And yeah, the videos are hilarious. Just the angle of everything and what yeah. they see and what they run around doing. I'm like, it's great. Yeah, I was given one a couple of years ago that I used for you know when the pandemic happened. I did videos for the school because everything went remote and whatever, and so the kids didn't have any food service. And my company was like, we're not giving our clients any value at all right now. And yeah. so we started recording uh, cooking videos, oh, recipe nice. built in, and all that. It was actually a lot of fun. And the GoPro, I didn't find to be terribly helpful for that because I just needed a still camera. Right. But, man, I've always wanted to just, like, throw it on the front of my bike when I'm biking to work or something like that. But then I'm almost afraid that I'm, like, inviting danger, you know? <laughs> Too distracted. Just yeah. pay attention to your GoPro. Exactly. I've seen these, like, wood-fired pizza videos where they have, like, a GoPro or a phone attached to the, the paddle as they go into this 900-degree oven. I'm like, how do they do that? There's no way. Like, it's going to melt. Yeah. And just in the last two weeks, someone in one of the comments of the video I was watching said, oh, no, they just put it into the cold oven, and then they edit it out, and then it's not actually uh, fired into the 900-degree oven. I'm like, oh, that makes so much more sense then. Um, but I'm like, who's sacrificing a phone to be able to make a video <laughs> for social media? But I don't know. Some people might be. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? Well, so um, let everybody know how they get a hold of you. and Sure. Uh, um, you can reach out. I'm, you know, The best way is probably through Instagram, on my Instagram handle. Uh, Poly G's Logan Square and then I run that one for now and then as we expand that might take over someone else might take over that position but you can reach out through that otherwise swing by the restaurant I'm usually at Logan Square every night except for Sunday and Wednesdays um, and then I make occasional appearances at Worker Park throughout the week too so and my staff will know how to get a hold of me so if you ever need anything come say hi nice so this is the worst question ever but what's the most popular pizza at the US, shop? right now it's the US Pizza Cup winner 
Um, that's our Detroit style. It's the one that got me onto the U.S. pizza team. It got me a free trip to Italy, all that stuff. Nice. Um, it's a really good pizza. It was never meant to last this long. It was meant to be a one-month special. And then a few of our regulars said they would boycott it. I took it off the menu. Uh. So sometimes you got to give the people what they want. That's that's that menu writing trap where yeah. you write something that's too good and it's supposed to go away and then your yeah. customers will go away. Well, and it's so it's it's not even like it's not here's my thing. It's not even that innovative or super interesting. Like it takes very classic ingredients and mixes up in a certain way. And because it was for competition, I designed it to be visually appealing as well as texturally appealing. Um, so it's a great pizza. I'm not saying it's not a great pizza, but for me, I'm like I want something new, innovative, and different. Yeah. Um, and that doesn't those boxes for me so I was surprised how much people loved it but I get it it hits all the boxes for them so be it I, right right yeah. well cool thank thanks you very for much man me. thanks for having me in your house too it's beautiful yeah.